It's the Heman Plus, the podcast you wait for every two weeks. It is how you put your fingers on the pulse of all things hematology. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist. Today's podcast hosts Dr. Nitin Jain from MD Anderson Cancer Center to talk about chronic lymphocytic leukemia and more importantly about a paper that came in May 2023 from the German CLL study group. It's CLL 13 that looked at various combinations of venetoclax. This podcast is going to really tackle few important things pertaining to CLL, such as MRD, such as PFS versus OS, but more importantly, what are the best combination therapies in view of the German study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Nitin, welcome to the show. A little bit about you and uh, why in the world did you end up doing CLL, my friend? So yeah, so thanks, Shadi, for the kind invite. So yeah, I'm Nitin Jain. I'm in the Department of Leukemia at MD Anderson in Houston. Uh, I've been here faculty member just about uh, 11 years now. And uh, focusing on CLL, which is a large part of my clinical trial work and also patient care work. I guess going back to, you know, uh, my CLL work, I mean, I guess after my fellowship, after my residency, actually, I did a year of research fellowship at Sloan. And there I worked quite a bit on CLL as a research fellow. And actually prior to that, I was working at Anderson with Susan O'Brien um, here uh, as also a research fellow, leukemia fellow at that time. So I think those were two major kind of uh, events which led me to kind of start focusing on CLL. And, and then when I joined as a faculty, because I had done a lot of previous work, a couple of years in CLL kind of research and patient care, that kind of became one of the you know immediate kind of a focus that, that I should do CLL plus. Back in 2012, when I joined, you know, Ibrutinib, not, not all these drugs were just coming along. So there was a lot of excitement in the field about new drugs. None of these were FDA approved yet. So I think there was also kind of the right time to kind of get into this clinical trial space and kind of uh, help patients. You joined actually at the right time focusing on CLL and uh, your papers and publications are part of none. So thank you for all your contributions. I want to focus a little bit on a couple of things. One is uh, a New England Journal of Medicine paper that looked at venetoclax various combinations, uh, which was done uh, by the German group. So we want to talk about that. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, views on fixed duration therapy uh, for patients with CLL, as well as whether uh, this is done because of MRD or not, and, and, and a little bit about MRD. But let's get started by um, the paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine by Michael Halleck group. And maybe let's talk about this a little bit and its significance. So yeah, so this paper, you know, um, led by the General Seal Study Group, uh, Barbara Eichhorst, uh, she's the lead first author and Dr. Michael Halleck is the senior author. So, so this is a trial which is called CLL-13 trial. And I think it's a very important trial in the field because we already knew, we already know from other trials that, you know, venetoclax works well for older patients. That was a CLL-14 trial where older patients were uh, given venetoclax obinituzumab versus colorambicil obinituzumab. And that data has now kind of matured for five years. And venetoclax obinituzumab really works very well, better than colorambicil obinituzumab. But we really didn't have any data in the younger patients in terms of large randomized studies with venetoclax. So that's where this, this trial fills the gap. 
So what the investigators did was that for these young patients, so, you know, these are patients who can tolerate chemoimmunotherapy, say, so typically less than 65 years of age. Um, you know, median age in the trial was about 60, 61 years um, uh, for these patients. And they were randomized into, you know, four different arms. So you can get chemotherapy, which could be FCR or BR. You can get venetoclax with rituximab. You could get venetoclax with obinutuzumab. Or you can get a triplet of venetoclax, obinutuzumab with ibrutinib. You know, so, so four different arms. And the only thing maybe which is missing, which if it was there would have been fantastic, is a, is a doublet oral of venetoclax ibrutinib. You know, so every arm had a CD20 antibody. So to, to me, this trial actually kind of answers two very important questions. So one is, uh, is venetoclax obviously better? Venetoclax combination is better than chemotherapy. And what the investigator showed is that both the arms with obinutuzumab, so whether it's venetoclax or obinutuzumab, or venetoclax or obinutuzumab with ibrutinib, they really outperformed chemotherapy arm. So really making a point that, that you know, venetoclax is the way to go in the frontline CLL. Uh, I, I'm talking about progression free survival, you know, overall survival, there is no benefit. But the other important point, which is again, not maybe powered, the study was not powered to address that, but you know, they had an arm of venetoclax rituximab. And this question comes up quite often in the clinic. Um, you know, rituximab is obviously much easier to give. I'm sure cheaper as well uh, compared to obinutuzumab. So the question comes up, why can't we just substitute rituximab for obinutuzumab if I'm giving venetoclax? And uh, we didn't really have any head-to-head -head data with venetoclax with rituxan versus obin until this trial, where you know if you compare, if you look at the MRD rates, if you look at the PFS, venetoclax obinutuzumab is outperforming venetoclax rituximab. So really making a point that venetoclax obinutuzumab, which is also sometimes we say VENG, is really kind of remains the standard of care even for young, one of the standard of cares for young patients. Rituximab is, is, is inferior. Chemoimmunotherapy such as FCRBR is inferior for progression-free survival as well as for MRD negative rates. Um, and I guess a, a, another maybe point to make is that they also had this triplet, right? Use your all three classes of drugs together, venetoclax, ibrutinib, obinutuzumab. But when they did that, and then you compare to the doublet of venetoclax obinutuzumab, which is without ibrutinib, uh, there didn't appear to be significant differences yet. You know, now whether that will, in future, the arm with the brutina will do better, we don't know. But at least this time of follow-up, the triplet didn't appear to be better than the doublet. So I think outside of the clinical trial setting, you know, the argument would be not to consider triplet for your patients. Um, certainly there are ongoing clinical trials looking at triplets. So if you want to, for, for clinicians who are listening, if you want to, and all on those clinical trials, I think that's quite appropriate. But also the clinical trial setting in the time-limited space, I think venetoclax or venetuzumab, I think remains the standard of care. Nitin, uh, we used to tell uh, folks, patients, as well as oncologists, that um, when you look at CLL and you risk stratify, patients who have the mutated IgHV, they have better uh, prognosis. And we used to propose that these patients will still benefit from FCR or BR when you give chemoimmunotherapy. Did this trial look at the mutational status of the IGHV? And are we still in this from the school of saying that these patients who have the mutated IGHV 
would would be better off getting FCR? Right. So this trial did uh, look at uh, outcomes PFS by IGH3 mutated versus unmutated. So clearly for the unmutated group, uh, the lowest PFS curve is chemoimmunotherapy. You know, so that that because we know mutated unmutated patients do not do well with chemotherapy. So that's clearly a wide separation in the unmutated IGHV among the four treatment arms. When you look at the mutated IGHV group, actually, all the arms kind of merge together. You know, so the chemotherapy arm is also doing actually great. All the all the four arms are kind of almost merging together. So now, you know, certainly that could one could argue that, you know, that means that chemotherapy, chemoimmunotherapy is appropriate for a mutated IGHV patients. And I think that's, that is something, you know, at least this trial, at least with this follow-up seems to be suggesting. Um, obviously, the counter argument for not using chemotherapy uh, would be that now, uh, you know, we have other trials like ECOG trials in the younger patients, which was ibrutinib rituximab versus FCR, where even for mutated patients, the PFS is better with ibrutinib rituximab versus FCR. And I think a bigger argument is chemoimmunotherapy has more cytopenia, therapeutic MDS and AML, you know, infectious complications. So I think those things kind of, you know, become an issue. So I think if you have if you have access to these drugs, then these novel drugs, I really don't think for mutated patients there is a reason to use chemoimmunotherapy. But if you are working in a setting where um, access to drugs, the cost is a big issue. Uh, I think for mutated patients, I think chemotherapy certainly could be considered if you don't have access to novel agents. In fact, I would say that a lot of folks were advocating chemoimmunotherapy because of the limited duration. You say, well, I'm just going to give the patient six cycles and they're done, whether it's BR or FCR. Uh, however, you guys have been pioneering this limited duration therapy as a countermeasure to this. Like, wait a minute, we can actually do also limited duration of therapy with these novel agents. Uh, take me through the thought process. How are you now doing these limited uh, duration therapy uh, with which combination? And how are you deciding uh, like when to stop? Yeah, so I think, you know, so in the in the frontline CLL, at least in the United States right now, I think there are four approved uh, target therapies. So three are BTK inhibitors, ibrutinib, acalabrutinib, and then more recently, zanubrutinib. And the acalabrutinib you can use with and without obinutuzumab. And then, so but all three BTK inhibitors are continuous daily therapy, lifelong. And then the fourth one is the time-limited approach of nitoclax obinutuzumab, which is like a one-year therapy. So in my practice, you know, there is data which uh, in the lab setting that the second generation BTK inhibitors are safer, maybe more effective, but that argument is still there, but at least they are safer compared to ibrutinib. So I think um, myself and many of my colleagues uh, at Anderson and elsewhere have really stopped using ibrutinib or prescribing ibrutinib for our patients. Um, so the option really becomes second generation. So the option is either Akala ibrutinib or Zonibrutinib versus venetoclaxobinitosumab. And uh, I think for me, you know, uh, all, I mean, I think all three options are excellent and I don't think anyone can say one is certainly the right way to go. Uh, there is a advantage, potential advantage of using one-year time-limited therapy of venetoclaxobinitosumab is that it's one year, so you're done. Patients have this feeling that they're done with their leukemia treatment. Um, it leads to deeper remissions. And overall, if you look at it, 
the cost is going to be less to the system because you're using practically just one year of bonitoplax and six months of bonituzumab. Versus, you know, the BTK inhibitors, Akala or Zanu, where you have to use them, you know, for a long time, uh, but certainly they're much easier to initiate. Um, you don't have to really worry about that much about tumor lysis syndrome. Most of the time, you really don't have to admit the patient, at least all outpatient. And uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, as I said, TLS or neutropenia. So it's uh, for some patients that ease of initiation is there and that, you know, that that they may favor. So I... I basically discuss exactly the same thing uh, to my patients. I give them the option of BTK, Akala versus Zanu versus Venji and kind of let them decide. And I would say most of my patients, especially on the younger side and you know, even you know, patients in their 70s, late 70s tend to favor Venji, at least in my practice, venobinituzumab I mean, uh, because they feel the time-limited therapy is important. But the other patients who um, you know, for them, just taking one extra pill doesn't matter. They're already taking five different pills, and it's much logistically easier. So they they want to go for uh, second generation BTK inhibitor, and in which really the choice is up until recently was only Acalabrutinib. Now we have Zanubrutinib enter the kind of market as well. So both of them are, I guess, appropriate options. But why? How was it decided? It's one year or Benji. Like, what was? Why not six months? Why not two years? Yeah, so I think that's a that's an important question you raise. I mean, I think you know these some of these things are empiric, right? When you, as you kind of know, when your trial is being designed, you kind of have to come up with a number to be uniform, and uh, you know to everyone. But is one year the right strategy? But let's suppose your patient is MRD positive. You check happen to check the MRD in the blood at one year, and it's MRD positive. Should I continue more venetoclanks? Maybe another six months, another one year. Or for the flip side, if my patient becomes MRD negative by six months, which means that they have a very sensitive disease, uh, should I maybe stop therapy at that time? But that's that's something you know which is which is being studied in clinical trial. But these things are very kind of difficult to kind of answer because uh, you know eventually you have to say if you stop early, uh, it improves your long-term PFS. You know, and the PFS for these patients are really excellent. You know, so. I think uh, it will be difficult to show, and uh, you have to have a very large number of patients um, to kind of design a study like that. Is the origin, but because the original the original stuff that you guys did with Venji did not include MRD, right? Like it was one right, year right, regardless, right? Right. So, so I should rephrase and clarify myself that the standard recommendation, the CL14 trial. And FDA approved recommendation does not talk about MRD at all. It's straight one-year therapy and you stop. Obviously, as we are treating patients now in the clinical practice, you know, these kind of issues arise that, you know, and one could argue that MRD is still a kind of a challenging test to do. So certainly not very many, not many clinicians do it, don't have access to it. And I guess we're still learning about MRD and in CLL, I mean. So, you know, some patients, some people argue, some clinicians that we'll just do one year of therapy, we stop, watch and wait. If and when the patient progresses, you then do a BTK inhibitor or re redo Venji or, or do, you know, whatever is the best available option at that time. And, you know, sometimes, again, we have access to MRD. You can then start to make some individual patient-specific decisions based on, based on, you know, what you are, uh, based on your assessment. But that's something, you know, which is, again, not standard of care. It's uh, 
it's something which you know sometimes you you make judgment calls based on an individual patient i would say in the frontline setting if i'm using venji as i said we do have access to mrd i really don't make much changes i i stop at one year mark i would say majority of the patient practically everyone we have treated becomes mrd negative at one year i think in the relap setting it's a slightly different argument if i have a patient who is 17p deleted high risk features as phase precursor brutinib now they are on venetoclax rituximab let's suppose you are using the morano criteria two years of venetoclax you have given and the patient is still mrd positive um in that case you know the recommendation still will be to stop at two years but from a practical clinical standpoint for some of these patients if they have very high risk features you know i have continued longer again that's not a standard recommendation that's individual patient recommendations and we don't know if adding more venetoclax is helping but at least the hope is that that will control their disease yeah i was going to say actually that sometimes um i wonder this is something see this is some this is a research idea for you there you yeah. go maybe maybe there's a time if you don't achieve mrd negativity by that time you're just not going to get mrd negative yeah so i think that's a good point and you know we try to address this in our ibrutinib reduplex trial so that's a different study ibrutinib reduplex there's yeah. no super antibody but that's actually an interesting trial because everyone got two years of therapy on the day one we decided two years for everyone not one year two years for everyone so but we were checking mrd during those two year time point you know so what happened was that uh, about you know let's suppose x number of patients were mrd positive still mrd positive at one year mark but everyone continued the second year and what we saw of 50% of patients who were mrd positive at end of one year by continuing the second year of ibrutinib venetoclax half of them became mrd negative the patients who were still mrd positive the mrd was declining you know you can track from one year to two years everyone was going down but they were just still like 0.05 they were just stuck so then the question became well everyone is declining you have given two years why can't you give another one year maybe these patients will become mrd negative and that's exactly what we did we amended the trial we did the third year for these still mrd positive patients and half of those remaining and there were like only 13 14 patients remaining still at that time but who were still mrd positive half of them became still mrd negative during the third year you know so what i'm saying is that this mrd you can potentially continue to achieve a longer therapy what we don't know yeah what that means whether at the end of the day these patients will relapse you know at the same time and this extra treatment is probably not worth it but that's something we'll have to see you know with longer follow up of the trial to see how you know these patients are relapsing or not so my last question to you is philosophical but i really want to reflect on this as somebody who has lived and breathed cll for uh we're not going to make you old nitin just we're going to say 15 years but but in all seriousness this pfs versus os progression free survival versus overall survival one could make an argument with the trial that we talked about the german trial the cll13 well look i mean if 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 vr was inferior you would have inferior survival but all what you showed me is progression free survival i have my own views about this obviously but the show is not about my views about yours yeah. what what do you say to this i mean how do we reconcile uh the the dilemma of uh, end points of progression free survival versus overall survival uh, in cll 
Well, so I would say that I don't think there is one party is wrong and one party is right. I think both parties are right the way you look at it, whether you believe in PFS or OS, right? Obviously, the gold standard is OS, but as you kind of well know, OS depends on the subsequent therapy a patient would receive, right? So it, it, is a, it is cumulative of multiple lines of therapy for individual patients. And the CLL therapies have involved so much these days. Yeah. I think if you want to see an OS benefit, you really need to probably under-treat or do something, you know, control arm, you know, something bad has to happen that somehow you treated them and they did not have a good salvage options, right? If you have good salvage options, for example, you said Venji versus Venar. If every one of these patients have access to a BTK inhibitor in the second line therapy, then maybe PITO or whatever, CAR-T or something, you know, I think it'll be the survival for both arms will be quite good. And it will take, who knows, 10, 15 years to even see a difference, if at all, there will be a difference. So from just a clinical trial design standpoint, that's just not a practical thing. Now you can say, okay, so if you're not able to show me an OS, I'm still going to continue to use VENR for that matter, or for that matter, chemoimmunotherapy. And I think that's that's an individual doctor's choice. If you believe in OS and you're not going to prescribe a treatment, which you think which is not giving OS benefit, you're going to stick with your old thing. That's your decision with your patient. Obviously, you have to also think about potential complications in terms of chemotherapy will be MDS, AML, and all those things. I think the VENR versus VENGI argument, both are pretty you know, safe regimens. So I think you can certainly make a case that, okay, I'm going to use VENR for my patients, and if they progress, I'm just going to do a BTK, and probably that will be sufficient. We don't know that for sure. But, you know, so I, I, I think I I don't think there is one side is absolutely right or the other side is wrong. But I think I sometimes feel that in these arguments, you just think yourself as the patient and you're prescribing yourself and you know the data, what you know. Are you going to pick Venar for yourself or Venji? You know, and I think most doctors. I'm going to pick Venji. Yes, exactly. So, you know, so sometimes when these discussions come and. I've been in some of these debates and discussion <laughs> where people really are. But then if you say, what will you pick for yourself or your mom or dad? No one will pick Venar. I mean, I can guarantee. I mean, if you are a you know physician, so wh- why would you do that for your patient? Because mm-hmm. then you start looking at data and you're trying to. I think the, the Venar option, you alluded to this earlier, Nitin. I mean, there are some low middle income countries. There are situations where you just don't have sure. access, uh, you, you know. I was born in Syria, you're born in India, and we know that sometimes resources are not available, and and I think that's fine. But I think when everything is available to you, we have to really think critically. And um, no, I appreciate your insight on this. Um, this was great. This was like a quick crash course into, uh, we alluded, we talked about a lot of things. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and joining me, and uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, Hopefully before Ash. I know we're going to see each other at Ash because we never miss an Ash. We never miss an Ash. Never miss an Ash so far. (laughs) Never miss an Ash. Well, Dr. Nitin Jain, MD Anderson Cancer Center on the Heman Falls. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Chadi. Thank you.